0: Here's Johnny!
1: Dead or alive, you are coming with me. Do you want to play a game? Well, you
0: know, for me, the action is the juice.
1: Donuts don't wear alligator shoes. Okay, motherfucker. This is the chopper! Hey guys, it's Jay. Just a quick note before starting our first episode of Genre Haze. Had some pretty catastrophic audio issues on my end. Um, For whatever reason, my new setup decided to revert back to my onboard microphone instead of my primary microphone, despite, you know, obviously testing. Uh, And as I am a master of first impressions, of course, this would happen for episode zero. But Stuart and I have a half dozen episodes already in the bag, ready to rock for genre haze. And if, you know, the quality of this sort of amendum is uh, any indication you know the audio issues have been rectified on my end So forgive me for uh, the quality of my audio for episode zero. I still think it's a really fantastic chat you guys should dive into it but uh, you know my audio will be drastically improved moving forwards with genre Hayes. So I thank you guys for giving the show a chance and enjoy our chat about our favorite films of 2023. Hello and welcome to episode zero of genre Hayes a weekly genre film podcast that explores the weird, wild, and wonderful depths of genre filmmaking. I'm your host, Jay Krieger.
0: And I'm Stuart.
1: And each week, Stuart and myself and the occasional guest will either dissect a first-time watch or a personal favorite film of ours using our patent-pending format of The Good, The Bad, and The What the Fuck, in which we'll get to the bottom of what makes a film notable, where it falters, and those moments that give us pause and make us go... What the fuck? So for the briefest of backgrounds of just who the hell we are, I'm Jay Krieger, a freelance writer and podcaster. I host and produce a podcast for Bloody Disgusting and Bloody FM called Safe Room, a horror video gaming podcast.
0: And I am Stuart, well, technically Garrus, but everybody says gears, so I just go with gears most of the time. Even my family does it here and there. So confusing name. <laughs> but uh no, I'm I mean, really the only I, I'm a podcaster. You have heard me on The Nuclear Fridge, of which you will also hear Jay occasionally on. And... Say it with some
1: conviction, my friend. Sorry. You are a, a fantastic member I... of uh, <laughs> The Nuclear Fridge and who always has plenty of great insight. And, uh, you know, I think part of why we are doing this, right, is because we met through The Nuclear Fridge, right? I got to meet you. It's a byproduct of meeting Jake Decker and Matt Paget, who is, of course, the other parts of The Nuclear Fridge. Um, and you know, you're somebody that very quickly it became apparent like, oh, this is somebody that I can talk to about all the weird random movies and games that I'm a fan of that. I love to ramble at nauseum about. <laughs> and yet everyone in my immediate life is kind of like, I've never heard of any of those things that you just said. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you talking about it to me with so much conviction?
0: Like, are we still talking about that last movie? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I no we hit it off quick. Uh, his friends and yeah I mean it's it's nice as he said to be able to speak about the things you're passionate about without uh, seeing the eyes roll or hearing the <laughs> gruff offs because they're just wanting to move on to the next subject uh,
1: the older I get the more I am noticing friends and family whose eyes begin to glaze over when I begin to talk passionately about anything that they have not read about on social media or heard about on whatever I don't know. Whatever kinds of uh, radio <laughs> programs they're listening to. You can it's tell I have thing. like my parents in mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's our version of our war stories. Sure. That we go on about for long periods, and everyone in the room's like, we're done. Okay, this isn't the time <laughs> or the place for this. Right. Except for us, it's usually just messed up movies. Well, not all messed up, but there's quite a few messed up ones in there. Yeah.
1: That's the thing with, you know, genres um, our sort of, I suppose, friendship stemmed around horror films primarily, but with genre haze, we're going to be tackling all genres and, you know, that might end up being horror a good amount of the time. Um, but I think it's going to be really fun to kind of dive into either genre films that I've always been a fan of that I've never had an outlet to talk about, or, you know, what I'm even sort of more excited about is diving into movies for the very first time that either I haven't seen or you haven't seen and getting sort of, the honest reactions behind like, oh, I picked this movie because of, you know, X, Y, or Z actor in it. I'm a fan of the director, but let's get to the nitty gritty of genre films that stand out, but from all these different eras. Um, And I think that's going to be really exciting to kind of tackle films that are not in the immediate, I suppose, like discourse, if you will, uh, of uh, like things like film, Twitter, letterbox communities and whatnot.
0: Yeah, no, you're not going to hear about all the trendy shit you're, you're, you're about to everything that you're gonna be like what the hell is that no there's definitely gonna be stuff people know but we're, we're definitely i mean i already know there's <laughs> some that people will be like oh that's an interesting take that's an interesting film but that's the beauty of it all over the map and it'll be fun
1: Absolutely. We have no shortage of uh, hot takes in our holsters ready to be be drawn at any moment's notice. But yeah, you know, so we're labeling this as episode zero because this episode is not going to follow the traditional genre sort of format that I mentioned earlier. Um, This is really just an excuse for Stuart and myself to chat about seven of our favorite films of 2023. And then, of course, along the way, we'll be mentioning some honorable mentions. Um, I suppose... Right before we dive into our top seven films of 2023, um, I should just have the caveat, if someone mentions a film that's higher on the other person's list, we'll hold off on discussing that film until we arrive at it at the other person's list, and then one of us will just, you know, throw out an honorable mention right off the bat. But the thing is, we have so many honorable mentions, I'm sure, that by the end of it, we'll still have a good handful to kind of throw out there uh, at the end of the episode before we round things out.
0: If you can't tell by the number, we had to compromise at seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we tend to go on. We <laughs> had to meet in the middle. I said
1: five, you said ten, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "We're trying to rein ourselves in a little bit uh, this year, trying to keep a it little. under, you know, two hours." We'll probably go two hours though with this, and you know, I'm, you, and I have a, a history of going at length with film of the year discussions for uh, a film podcast that I used to do called daily horror habit. That was just horror. Stuart and I did a game of the a movie of the year. And I think that was like three and a half hours long. And I was like, as it, it was fun, it was fun, not it begrudging fun. the experience, but, but then going back and thinking about it, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, not everybody wants to listen to me talk for three and a half hours.
0: Yeah. I, it, but you know what? They get to hear about all the wonders. This is very true.
1: And not to give myself too much credit. We,
0: we watch a lot. We had some so fantastic picks. I would, but yeah, no, I we're we're gonna try to avoid ever hitting three hours unless it's like a telethon or something where we're raising money for.
1: <laughs> we're uh, getting ahead of the lifespan of genre, heads, of but choice. I think that's something we'll keep in mind. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. <laughs> we'll the telethon episodes, we'll have them separate. I do have to
1: apologize in advance to everybody for my voice that will probably get a little raspier throughout the course of this. Of so naturally, when we're set to record, I'm getting over a cold, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to diving into. Our picks for twenty twenty three. And Stuart, I wanna give you the honor of kicking things off and telling the lovely listeners what your number seven favorite film of twenty twenty three was.
0: This order is not. I wanna specify. People who have heard me on Nuclear Fridge or Jay and I talk before know I, I have a hard time <laughs> <with> ranking things. <laughs> because, you know, I love movies for different reasons, but this year was a good year for movies. Uh and I would say my my number seven would it's probably Win Evil. Oh works.
1: man, we're gonna have to come back to that one because I've got that much higher yeah, on my I list. Know. <laughs>
0: I know, I know, I it's, that's the thing. Like all, all of my picks, I didn't really put in an order. I just kind of was like, these are the ones I like loved this year. And I kind of separated, but yeah, when evil lurks is going to be. I All guess,
1: right. So favorite. give us one of those hot honorable mentions that you got. Cause I know if you're anything like me, you've probably got a dozen at oh, least. God.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess my first one, which actually I struggled with, if I wanted to put it in a top seven is a film I just watched called, uh, mayhem with an exclamation mark, just to separate it up from the one with Steven Yoon. Uh, and the original title is Ferong, which it just kind of translates. I, 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 I believe to like outsider, uh, but it's by, uh, Xavier, oh, God, I don't want to mess up the last name. I-, I think it's Jean. Uh, and he has made, uh, I think Jay has seen, you've seen Frontiers, right? I have. Yeah. So it's the director of Frontiers. And then oh, no way. also a guilty pleasure film of mine, which is the 2007 <laughs> hitman with Timothy Olyphant. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I know it's not a good hitman. Movie. Sure. I know. It's not a good Hitman movie, but it is a very fun action movie. Oh, this movie's and on it's shot uh, Prime. shot really well. Oh, shit. Watch it, dude. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, Rental
1: Through Prime, but still.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I was just talking a little bit to Jay about it, but it kind of, it has the vibe of something like The Night Uh, Comes for Us, which is one of our favorite movies of all time, because it's perfect. hmm or as perfect as a movie can be, anyway. What you know, it's it's amazing, uh, and this is kind of like almost if someone wanted to make a movie in that vein, but put it around a revenge plot. I mean, it's not like breaking any boundaries for the plot, but really effective, and the action scenes are amazing. So that will be my shout out, my first shout out.
1: <laughs> that is on my watch list for the near future.
0: Hell yeah. It'll be worth it. All right. So
1: my number seven is going to be no one will save you from director Brian Duffield.
0: <sighs> that was in my honorable
1: mentions too. Oh, there we go. All right. So I know I, I loved it. Brian Duffield is the director of spontaneous, which is um, a horror comedy that came out a few years ago that I don't think got nearly as much love as it deserved. And you know, with no one will save you. Duffield has basically taken the alien, Uh, sort of like creature feature, if you will. And he's really attacked it in an interesting way, right? Because the whole film setup is like, it's, I suppose in big air quotes, it's gimmick is that there's no dialogue in the movie outside of one or two sentences. Um, But that doesn't end up actually being like a hindrance on the experience. People are probably thinking like 90 plus minute movie with no dialogue, but like Duffield has such a visual storytelling sense that, You know, I think he communicates a lot through actions of his actors uh, to the degree that, like, you don't really end up missing dialogue because of how quickly things kick off with, like, the alien showing up. Initially, the alien is kind of like the stereotypical little gray man, skinny, big head, but all of a sudden it's got telekinesis and that comes into play in a really interesting way. But also, like, what really surprised me is the variety of aliens that are there. And, you know, it's not a quantity thing, but it's a quality thing. Each of the aliens that shows up has its own characteristics. It has its own, uh, like I suppose attack patterns or hunting styles, if you will, um, that really like throws the protagonist in this film, a curveball, in a way that has some pretty creative, uh, output outcomes. I think, you know, it's not the type of film that gets bogged down in, you know, there are, uh, you know there either are aliens or there aren't aliens oh we've got these weird symbols what could these possibly mean um it kind of skates through all of that and it attacks that genre from the standpoint of like a home invasion thriller which is really great because you know the best home invasion thrillers they kick off like that hey there's a motherfucker in your house you got to get away from them it just happens the motherfucker in this case is a little gray man and his much larger and in some cases smaller brethren um and so how did you feel about no one will save you? Cause this is a film that uh, you and I had talked about previously.
0: We, we did. Yeah. I, uh, I was, I said, Ooh, for a second. Cause I looked up the last uh, movie, his other, I'm going to, I'm gonna have to watch that. I haven't, I haven't seen it. It's terrific. Um, But yeah, so uh, no one will save you. I was really impressed by it. Uh, something I I believe I said this on nuclear fridge a bit and Jay and I have talked a bit I, the beginning of it is set up so perfectly because there's, there's no hint that this is going to be an alien movie Yeah. in that first, whatever, you know, five to 10 minutes, um, to the point where I was upset that I saw the cover of the movie before I watched it. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I remember talking about that.
0: And the the only real reason why is because it would have been that much more of a holy shit moment because it really is set up well. Uh, I love the aliens designs. I like that. Fa- facially they're they are the alien. If you think of an alien, this is their face that you think of, Yeah. but they make them so grounded and realistic that they don't feel dumb or out of place. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't want to repeat everything you've said, but it's just, uh, it, it's quirky at times. Mm. Uh, it knows when to be serious. Uh, I can't think of the actresses. Who's the lead actress in it? Uh, um, I will. Denver's. No, it's uh. Dever or, or not Caitlin Dever. Caitlin Dever. Okay, yeah, she's great. She's amazing in it. Uh, and probably one of my favorite endings to a movie this year. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so, and it's funny because I think it's PG thirteen. Yeah. But it's it's a type of choice I wouldn't expect in a PG thirteen. Not that it's like some graphic thing or anything, but it's just was like, oh wow. Like they they, they went there and I really appreciated that. So it's kind of a yeah, ball. It is. And I that and that was another one. I have like a list of my shout-outs with stars next to the ones I kept switching out, and that is one that I had a star next to. <laughs> Uh, I have a few of those, but it, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm look forward to watching it
1: again. Highly recommend that to anybody that's either into, of course, alien movies, horror movies, but even if you're not, I think this would appeal to anybody that's into, uh, thrillers cause it's paced like one. It has the sensibilities of one. It's just the antagonist is not human. Uh, and that ends up making for a really terrific, uh, little sci-fi horror film. But what is your number six, Stuart?
0: My number six, uh, I think I'm giving it to past lives by Celine song. I didn't really know what to think of the movie. uh, When I was going to see it, I just heard it was, you know, it was an a 24 like drama. And I was just like, Oh, well I have nothing to watch right (laughs) now. So I watched it. Uh, And it's, it's funny because it really is a, it's a film about two people who, love each other but it's just never the right time in life for them to really connect um the lead in the film who's played by greta lee who's incredible in it basically she moves she immigrates and ends up eventually in new york city and wants to pursue a career there and this kid that she grew up with he doesn't move but the career choice he wants is kind of keeps him there to a point where he doesn't really want to visit. So they kind of separate and go through different like decades of their lives and essentially just seeing how they connect or where they wind up. And for some reason it got me it, the acting was great. It's visually a beautiful movie. Uh, it felt like real people, not just like something where you'd watch. There was none of the, uh, oh my God, he sent me this text that can be explained <laughs> in three second scenes right. and I'm going to get angry. There's scenes where they argue like real people. There's scenes where they care about each other as friends. It's handled in such a mature way and ends on a note that's, you know, for anybody who's been in a really, you know, in a, in a position of like being with someone you really care about, but maybe it not working where it just kind of, you know, gets you you're a little choked up. Uh, not to go super serious, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I genuinely, I, I love this movie and I, it's not even a movie norm. It's not that I don't like, I don't know. I, I don't normally seek out just, Oh, I'm going to go watch a romantic film right now right. by myself. Uh, so, uh, I was just pleasantly surprised by it. It's also very funny and I, yeah, it, 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 I feel like it it, it earned my top seven this year. It had to,
1: I The title for a second threw me for a loop, but then I remembered, oh, yeah, this is a film that uh, my co-host of my other podcast, Safe Room, Neil Bolt, has been, had told me about, um, or I'd read his Letterboxd oh, sure. review, right. and he was a huge fan of it. And, you know, like you, I don't always seek out uh, romance films, but at the same time, I'm human. Sometimes I like to pour a triple whiskey and uh, sit down and watch something that makes me feel things for a change other than fear or excitement. Sometimes, you know, like to get a little... A little sad, a little, maybe sometimes yeah. do a little introspective shit, drink and perfect watch a movie. And yeah, perfect for that. Well, perfect. terrific. That's definitely going it's, on my list.
0: It's it's definitely not like, uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to go like, oh, I want to watch like a walk to remember type. It's definitely not. that. <laughs> <laughs> not that those don't have their place. Sure. I've watched a walk to remember. And, you know, it's, it's OK to like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mandy Moore anyway sorry
1: <laughs> no nope, that's perfect i'm gonna definitely uh, i've got that on my list now so i'm gonna try to check that out at some point this year have you
0: seen a walk to remember i have not i've heard of it
1: but i have not seen it
0: yeah you gotta you're gonna have to watch that one day but that one you can just watch however you want because you know it's just the rip at your heartstrings <laughs> but in like the cw sense
1: well if i need a casual heart ripper i'll definitely add that uh, to the watch list one night. Perfect. Awesome. Well, my number six is going to be They Cloned Tyrone from Joelle Taylor.
0: Shit, I still haven't seen that. Oh, man.
1: You know, <laughs> talk about gems of the year that Netflix continues to fucking bury. They Cloned Tyrone is right at the top. Such a fantastic blending of a homage to, like, 70s exploitation films. It's got elements of satire, mystery, horror, science fiction, and absurdist humor. Um, this is one of those movies that... You know, I've, on my other podcasts, I've become kind of a caricature for the saying, but like, this is a movie that was made in a lab based on my interests because it is so out of left field. It's so strange at times, but it all comes together into a package that is uh, really, really sort of just in line with what I look for in movies. Um, and that is mostly fueled by the fact that it has a fantastic trio of leads. You've got John Boyega, who I am still really upset, like, has not popped off to the degree that I think he should have uh, post-Star Wars, right? You're in one of the biggest film franchises of all time, and all of a sudden, like, you're just not in everything. It's kind of strange, but, you know, he's great. Jamie Foxx, that man can do basically no wrong in my eyes. And then you have uh, Teona Paris, who is a fantastic addition of that trilogy. And this was a movie that, you know, it dances between all of those sort of genres that it has blended into this cocktail of a film that is really, really strong. And I think, you know, it is a fun blend of commentary and comedy, I think, because a lot of it has to do with sort of um, Black America, their perspective of what their experience in America is like, but it doesn't do it in a manner that is as heavy-handed or, well, I suppose it is very heavy-handed, but it's not as dour, I suppose, right? It uses the satire and these different genres to have very blunt and at times difficult conversations, but it does it in a way that is, I suppose it's more consumable for people. So like I was able to show this to my buddies and they were able to enjoy it whether or not they were kind of like, Oh, this is making a commentary on this or that. And I think, again, that comes back to how strong those leads are. And it's a film that stands out to me also just because the director, this was his directorial debut. Previously, oh, he had written Creed 2 and I think the Space Jam reboot, which, you know, if I had known <laughs> that going into the movie, I might have been a little more skeptical. But um, I like Creed 2. Yeah, Creed 2. Great. Creed 2 solid. Space Jam 2. Eh. Yeah, no,
0: it exists. It exists.
1: It's a film that exists. It's a, it's a movie. It's a, movie. You know? it's a feature film. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was The Clone Tyrone. That was a movie that I recommended it to you.
0: Uh, you did, you, and that's been my only exposure to this movie was Jay telling me to watch it, and then I forgot to watch it. But I, I re-added it to my watch list because Netflix is just...
1: The fucking I, worst. Netflix
0: has some of some amazing things on there that they never tell you about.
1: Yeah, uh, which has been the case countless times. Talking, You know, you mentioned you incurred uh, the name of one of our favorite films, The Night Comes for Us. Would not have known that was a movie unless I followed the director on Twitter. And it's like... Most people don't because, you know, he is not only um, is he not an American born filmmaker, so he doesn't get the same exposure as a lot of other American led projects on uh, Netflix. But he does these small little uh, martial arts films. Right. And he's this kind of niche films for niche audience. And that ended up being one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Same thing with they Tyrone. Love this movie fucking shit job of advertising it. And it's a shame because I hope that Jewel Taylor gets, uh, you know, another check to make something as out there and as creative as they clone Tyrone. Cause I really did love this film.
0: I'm going to watch it. It is added to the watch.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to know what your number five film is.
0: Poor things.
1: Oh, another Poor one that things. eluded me this year. Unfortunately,
0: <laughs> I, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, he's, he's made some great movies. I am a big fan of The Lobster. Uh, and I think it was, he did Killing of the Sacred Deer,
1: right? Yeah, Killing of Sacred Deer. And he also did one called Dogtooth, which is still one of the I never, weirdest right, I never movies I've ever seen.
0: I, I have not seen it yet. Uh, but yeah, it's the thing with poor things. I mean, it's been talked about a lot, so I'm not going to go crazy into it. But it's for me, one of the biggest reasons I loved it was it's hysterical like it's genuinely f- funny throughout most of the movie. There's definitely some scenes of seriousness and goes into some dark places. Uh but there's so much joy in it. That, uh Mark Ruffalo plays a complete scumbag in it, but he <laughs> is hysterical. Uh Willem Dafoe, I mean, come on. It's Willem Dafoe. When's he Willem ever Dafoe missed is- he's he doesn't he doesn't miss and he essentially plays uh dr frankenstein in this type in this movie uh to the point his character is literally she calls him god which i thought was amazing <laughs> um but yeah so but i mean the main draw of course is emma stone in it and she's amazing you know she has to go from a character that was just you know i mean she's she's essentially brought to life in a woman's body. And the movie is kind of her finding herself, and it's it's just really well done. Uh, There's a lot of great set work. I like the bizarre nature of a lot of the environments in the movie. It doesn't just go for just grounded, realistic environments with a weird scenario. Like, everything matches one another, which I think is great. And uh, also some character actors who I will not say are in it that you and I are fans of that most people like I made a comment. I was like, holy shit, he's in this. And the people I was with with were like, I don't know who that is. (laughs) And I was like, shit. You're like,
1: fuck, this Uh, is a movie I got to text Jay about.
0: Yeah, basically. So, uh, yeah, it's really well done. Like I said, I don't want to go too much into it because I know it's like part of, you know, the oscar campaigns and stuff going right now but it's well deserved talk and i think people should check it out
1: yeah man yorgos is one of those directors where it's like i won't say i enjoy every film that he's made but at the same time he makes movies that are absurdist to the degree of like like belly clenching laughter for me and i don't forget his movies which i think the older i get the more i find a lot of value in that because you know we've talked about it um, off air plenty of times where it's like I would rather watch a really memorable movie that I didn't necessarily love than some shit that I've seen in countless other movies and it's doing a worse job at what it sets out to do than all those other examples of what it's doing. Um, So I think for me yes. like you know it's one of those movies where I wasn't going to rush out to the theater to go see it but at the same time it's definitely on my watch list Um, and to hear that like Mark Ruffalo plays an absolute scumbag when he usually kind of plays this sort of like arbiter of good in a way uh, is something is like a selling point for me. And I know that Yorgos always delivers unforgettable, uh, you know, premises or just scenarios to basically torture his characters with. So I'm definitely going to be excited to check that one out.
0: Yeah. I I think it's one of those also that if you're somebody who's been missing Tim Burton, it it has a (laughs) lot of Tim Burton vibes to it. If Tim Burton was allowed to just make the most R-rated shit ever. (laughs) So... I mean, you if just you sold like me that, on it. There you go. Like, if you like those gothic vibes like I do, uh, it definitely nailed that for me as we await Beetlejuice 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please be good.
1: <laughs> I think we all hope that any sequel to a beloved uh, film that hasn't had a sequel in, what, 40 years or something like that, Fort- definitely yeah. uh, we want it to be as good as possible.
0: I mean, I while the movie wasn't what they wanted it to be, I would say that Michael Keaton was successful in coming back as Batman. So yeah. I think, I think he's up for the challenge of Beetlejuice. There you go. That man probably has not got it.
1: Has not lost his touch in the uh, subsequent 40 years.
0: No, not at all. So Jay, what is your next choice?
1: My next pick for number five is going to be John Wick four.
0: It's a little higher on mine, but that's okay.
1: Well, I will, <laughs> I will throw out one of my, uh, honorable mentions then. Um, So a film that I just recently watched, you can tell the last week and a half of my life has literally been coming home from the gym, going to work, going to the gym and coming home and just watching movies. That's all it's been, which is like kind of what I love about the beginning of the year. Um, If I'm being honest, because it kind of just gives me uh, a excuse to be a little bit of a slob and just kind of like veg out on the couch, but it's in the, the name of content and cinema. Right. So, My honorable mention is going to be Husara the Bone Woman.
0: I just watched that like four days ago. Oh,
1: terrific. Because that is a movie that. Yeah, absolutely fantastic from director Michelle Garza Cervera. And this is a movie that tackles a pretty familiar horror trope that being motherhood and pregnancy. But I was so blown away by this film's ability to basically weaponized jump scares in a way that everybody that clowns on jump scares and horror films would wish that all directors would in that, you know, her direction with those jump scares is that the setup is always familiar. There's not a single jump scare in this movie that begins in a way that is unfamiliar, but the punchline of each of those jump scares is always unexpected. It's always shocking and it's always scary as shit. And it made me anxious to go from my room to the fridge to get another beer and then run back to my room uh which is something that i haven't had to do in a long time um but yeah this was a fantastic movie and uh you know who's to say it's one that we won't return to for a uh, real episode of genre is uh in the near future
0: i i would happily i think it was yeah I, i'm not gonna say too much on it because it's your shout out but uh yeah I, I think the thing that caught me off guard was that it uh, the sound design too with the scares oh insane. yeah uh, it's And there's a lot of practical stuff going on, which is always appreciated. Because um, you could tell it was lower budget, but it doesn't feel super low budget as you watch it. Like, they utilize their budget effectively. And you're just kind of saying, they're like, where the hell is this going to go?
1: Well, also, the uh, the CGI, if there is CGI in the film, which I'm pretty sure there is. Um...
0: There, there has to be, Most people, people are dead right now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, but the cgi that's used is not as egregious as films that probably had a similar budget to this one and that's all i'll say because i'm sure we'll be diving in this one in the uh in the near future hopefully but uh for you what was your number five pick
0: you know what it's it's john wick
1: oh there we go okay
0: and this is not an insult that it's not my number one because i fucking love this movie
1: (laughs) that movie fucking rocks let's just establish that first and foremost yeah Uh,
0: you know the thing with this movie which i has caught me a little off guard and i want you to speak too because you picked it for your last uh it you cannot like it's, it's totally cool if these are not your type of movies i i respect that there's you know there's not a shit ton of plot going on you know or I, I, I understand that. And for a movie to be this one, I believe is like almost right at three hours. Right. So if it's not your thing, this movie is not going to change your mind, but there is no denying. And I do not care who you are and what your movie preferences. This is a huge, huge stunt ridden technical feet of a fucking action movie and
1: and that's putting it lightly
0: and it's one of those movies like it had every this, this could have been awful because I've loved the John Wick series I really have like each one they usually step it up obviously in the action and stuff like that but for the most part they still keep the heart of the character I feel even though it's not as you know prominent as it was in that first film You know, a a lot of this is just John dealing with the consequences of his actions from the last film we watched, which I think was the smart move. Well, with some world building, obviously. But, like, the last... So this is, yeah, like we said, this is like a three-hour movie. The last, I want to almost hour, 40, 45 minutes of it are three of the most impressive action sequences I have ever seen. And... Yeah, and your ground, and you, you know, and you're all kind of brought into this from Keanu Reeves, who gives a very kind of subtle but you know heartfelt performance of this guy that just wanted his fucking life back, that just keeps running into the worst luck of people. In uh, this one, it's Bill Skarsgård, who is great at being someone you want to see die by the end of the movie. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I just I was shocked how much I liked it, despite liking the others so much, because you're just waiting for one of them to finally be the dud where you're like, okay, I think that's enough. And when this ended, while it feels pretty conclusive and I don't know if they'll do another one other than that ballerina spinoff, but Holy shit. What a way to go out. If it is the case.
1: Yeah. You know, like you, um, I'm a massive fan of the John wick series. I understand why it doesn't work for some people, but for me, it has been a treat every couple of years to get a new one of these movies and just to see them, not only refine what was so good about the original, but the scale of them gets larger and larger with each sequel. Now, when you get to the fourth film in any series, that becomes kind of an issue, right? Is that you can only get so big. You're going to find your ceiling. And remarkably, John Wick 4, I don't even think they found their ceiling because they just continued to do what was so good in the previous one. They made it larger, but it didn't feel like it was, I suppose, quantity over quality in most regards, right? I think, for me, what got larger was the set pieces. This movie has some absolutely gorgeous sets throughout, you know, of course, John Wick, he's going to be traveling all around the world and whatnot, fucking people up as he does, but, you know, this film has some really, really gorgeous production value. Um, And that's not to say the other films didn't, but, you know, I'm thinking about primarily the inclusion of... Billy Skarsgård, like you said, and the fact that he's this, you know, member of the high table and whatnot. So he's got all this like elegance behind him and the environments champion that, right? They're at like this, these massive mansions in Europe and in France and all these different locations, even like the hotel set piece in Tokyo, um, which is one of my favorite ones because you've got this, you know, this Neo tech sort of layout and whatnot, But then, you know, they have you in this more refined sort of almost like French castle later on, later on and whatnot. Um, But for me, what I think really allowed John Wick 4 to shine in a way that the other films didn't is the fact that they didn't let just John Wick get the spotlight. This has the most diverse cast in terms of fighting styles of different killers from that world, but also, you know, an eclectic mix of people from different backgrounds You know, you've got Donnie Yen as Kane, who is one of my favorite characters of 2023. Scott Adkins. You've got Shamir Anderson, who is fantastic. You've got uh, Marco Zaro. You've got Hiroki Sonata and plenty of more characters. And these people that are all action stars in their own right, but they really are allowed to have the spotlight when it matters in the story, but also they get to display a fighting style that is entirely unique to their character in this world. And I think that at you know, you get four films into this franchise. I can only watch Keanu Reeves hip check somebody so many times or headshot them. I'm going to love it still. Every time he does it, you need to have a breath of sort of creativity, if you will, or a breath of fresh air. And I thought this film delivered that in spades with the addition of that cast. Um, Cause I think also like Chad Stolinski is not a dumb guy. This film has these, this series has always had one foot in fantasy and one foot in action, right? The unkillable man, every shot is a headshot, that type of thing. And, you know, Donnie Yen being this blind assassin as Kane, I fucking loved because the series is leaning into the absurdity, but the absurdity is not at a cost of the cinema of the choreography of the fights and the sort of, I suppose, personalities that are behind each of those fighting styles. Uh, And for those reasons, like that's why it was number five for me. One of my favorite, not only films of 2023, but one of my favorite John Wick films. This one is, Same. I think, in my top, top two, top two.
0: It, I, yeah, I'd have, I have a hard time ranking them just because they literally open basically. Where the, other than this one open where the last one ended. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, no, man, you said it beautifully. I, I just, it's one of those things too, that you wouldn't think that one of the, and I mean, you mentioned it, one of the best looking movies of the year was a John Wick film. Yeah. But it really was. I remember because I saw it with my brother and, and we watched it in a big format. And uh, I was surprised how many times I was like, damn, that's a pretty shot. Damn, that looks really good. And, you know, the continuous pushing themselves to go as long as they can with takes. And oh, that's the other thing that I I think is not to continue so much on this movie. But
1: I mean, it's warranted. Some, it rocks
0: <laughs> something with it that I appreciate greatly I love one take fight scenes and them being extended and all, but something that I notice sometimes with that is you'll have some long takes that don't, but they'll cut to another take, which is totally fine, but it doesn't quite always feel like it lines up. Yeah. It feels Wherein like a, this, a
1: patch job almost.
0: Yeah. It feels a little patchy. Like, Oh, we had this really long fight and now that's it's kind of being cut up a bit, which is, Fine, but it kind of takes away from some of the impact. Where with this, they almost cut with the punches. So it is so seamless that you're not even really paying attention to the fact that there are these cuts in the fights. And I think that alone, just for, on an editing standpoint, is impressive. Because these movies, I mean, even the first film. I mean, they've been very good at having these longer take fight scenes, with letting Keanu do his thing. But then when you add, you know, Donnie Yen and everyone else in there doing all of this with swords and everything that's a, a lot of hard work and talent to make that that cohesive
1: Donnie Yen being a blind assassin that flashbangs a bunch of criminals and then says lights out <laughs> assholes one of my favorite moments of the year
0: oh my god their fight scene together at the end on the stairs is amazing how long that took to shoot no idea but amazing
1: well here's the thing i'm definitely going to bring it up and it's going to make this one of our longer set pieces but um, uh, that crane shot when Keanu has the dragon fire oh. shotgun, he's got that shotgun <laughs> with the ember rounds, dude. One of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life. The fact that that crane shot continues to spiral upwards and then track him from going from room to room and just lighting motherfuckers on fire with buckshot is amazing. It
0: It's funny too, because I was like, I, when I was watching it, the f- John Wick chapter three has a scene at the end where he has a, 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 an auto, a Benelli M4, like auto shotgun at the end that he is, he has to use. Cause these guys are wearing just this ridiculous armor <laughs> and he's like blowing through them. And I was, as I was watching this, I'm like, man, it'd be great if we had one shotgun scene, but it's okay. These scenes are so good that I don't care. And then that scene comes up and, <laughs> and it just keeps going, but not in a way that you're like, okay, wrap it up. Like it's, he sets people on fire. They're falling downstairs, stairs. Um, and then you have uh, the tracker come into play with it. And he whips out one of the more badass scenes of the movie when he rips his armor down out of his clothes.
1: Oh, so sick.
0: With his dog. It's such a badass scene. Uh, yeah, Shamir Anderson, he's amazing in it. being a, Especially being kind of mysterious and only interacting really when necessary at it a lot. But he just when it comes down to him and John and you're not really sure where their relationship is going to go, that whole sequence isn't super intense.
1: Absolutely. And you know, last thing I'll say is just the fact that a couple of things you mentioned are building from elements or scenes that were in John wick three, but at the same time, it's doing them in a more refined manner. It's even got a couple of sort of secrets up its sleeve and how it wants to execute on those ideas, which in reality, is like the best way you could want a series to continue. You know, it's not always about how much more ridiculous can this get? It's like, hey, let's do something we've already done, but have a curveball at the end of it that just makes it that much crazier and that much more realized. Um, And I think that really speaks to just John Wick 4 and, of course, Keanu's dedication, Chad's dedication to it, but everybody that they bring into those films, it's like, that's how prolific those the John Wick series is, right? Is that people are dying to get in these movies. And once they get the spotlight like they do in this film, that's when the series becomes really special. And There have been moments here and there throughout the entire series of bringing people in. But I, in my opinion, John Wick 4 is an example of them doing it the best. And it's why it's, you know, as high on my list as it is, because I love this movie. And clearly, so do you. <laughs> uh,
0: it's... It is one that if you are even remotely an action fan, and even if you're not yet interested in the story, I would still tell anybody to watch it. Absolutely. If they're just interested in stunt work or action films in general, it's a it's a special one to watch.
1: Hell yeah. Well, my number four pick then is Oppenheimer, but I have a feeling that's much higher on your list. And that's only because <laughs> I listened to The Nuclear Fridge. Uh,
0: It's a bit higher, yeah. It's a bit higher. I mean... The thing is, like I said, this is not in any particular order. Uh, And I honestly, I could even give Oppenheimer right now in this position to to talk about it, because literally this is our we we watch so many movies being able to put it into a top seven at all. They're all amazing. So I'm
1: I'm, going to I'm just going to throw out one of my uh, one of my honorable mentions, then, because this is a movie uh, that I just recently (laughs) saw again, you know, playing catch up. Um, That I don't think has been talked about nearly enough. And it's understandable because, you know, as Shudder, the streaming service, grows in popularity, has this continued success, they're churning out movies at a crazy fucking rate. Um, And a film that I think has gotten, you know, good coverage from the big horror publications, but it's not nowhere close to being mainstream or anything like that, um, is a film called Brooklyn Forty Five from director Ted Geogen. But this was a film where a group of veterans from World War II are getting together, and over the course of them getting together and having drinks and everything, some of the horrors of their past, of what occurred during the war, comes back to haunt them. And of course, knowing Shudder and horror films, there are some ghostly repercussions for that. Um, this was a really fantastic, I thought, chamber piece that did a lot with very little. Um, I'm a sucker for single location movies, whether they're thrillers or horror films, and give me a period, chamber, piece, single location horror film. I mean, you won me over pretty quickly with a combination of genres like that. And yeah, this was one that I think everybody should definitely check out, because it has flown under the radar, I think, come end of the year, when everybody's celebrating films from the year, um, and it was a notable standout.
0: I will have to check. I have that on my watch list on Shutter, but I have not watched it yet, so I'll, I am excited to get it to that one though for sure um shutter is a hard one too like in terms of like knowing what do i want to watch next because they when they when they put them all out you're just like oh that's the one i wanted to watch because i heard about it and then it starts piling on because they put out put in so much but uh they also have put out a lot of great shit so it's okay
1: <laughs> the problem with shutter is every time i go on to check that i'm like oh hey there's three new shutter originals that are on here Two of them I've heard of, one of them I've never heard of. And then I see that they, oh, well, they've also got John Carpenter's The Thing and Prince of Darkness on there. Like, how do I decide between five of those films? Um, Which is, you know, a common issue for me. But um, what is your number four?
0: I'll say Oppenheimer.
1: Oh, okay. There you go.
0: I'll say Oppenheimer. I, I, this is the movie I've seen the most this year, which is you know, saying something considering it is like a three hour movie. And I'm not one to just rewatch three hour movies all the time. I
1: saw it twice as well.
0: And it's, it really is. I mean, first off, it's great to see Christopher Nolan getting quite a bit. I mean, like there's a lot of Christopher Nolan fans, obviously, and people talk highly of him, but it is nice to see now kind of on the Hollywood side, him getting a bit more recognition as a director. Uh, it is, I mean, this, like I said, it's a three hour movie. It's paced like a thriller. Yeah. Uh, Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr. Every character in this movie is played so perfectly. And even people who are not in this movie very much are amazing. Like they, and they all have little moments and they give you enough fragments. Like they don't. Go into well, this was Oppenheimer when he was four years old and taught horse, (laughs) and now he's sad. Uh, They they didn't they didn't go into. uh, They start with him when he's like in college. Um, it's it shows you just enough about him to where you don't need it completely spelled out for you. Um, I saw some people complaining about how the movie kind of rushed his characterization but honestly, I think if they spent more time with him being a bit of a womanizer or going into him when he was even younger than that, I think that would have hurt the whole point of the movie. Agreed. Uh, because they they cover enough there that you get it and it doesn't linger. Uh, which I think is important when you have a movie like this that's dealing with such a controversial figure. And, you know, Killian Murphy has this very subdued performance but as the movie continues and you you start really delving into this guy and how his actions have not only impacted the world but himself and his family and everything it's 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 really interesting to watch from beginning to end i was not bored with this movie the score is gorgeous it's visually gorgeous Uh, I thought it was incredibly smart and tasteful to not show the nuke. I don't know why there was such a large amount of people that were complaining about that. I don't know if that's what that says about (laughs) our population on wanting to see that so badly. Um, But I thought how they handled it was perfect. I like that it was from everything was from his perspective. Uh, And it wasn't like, oh, okay, this is what the world's doing. It's like, no, we are focused on this one man. And, you know, this mission that he's on to do something that he believes at the time is right. So you're not sitting there watching this movie about this, you know, there's plenty of movies out there about, you know, horrendous, horrendous people. And you get to see like all of their like the consequences of their actions. But, you know, they're bad people where with this, you do have a little bit of that element of. I, I understand where he came from and clearly he understands why he thought that way and why now he thinks very differently about things that really makes the movie I mean on top of obviously you know what happens in, when, well what happens in the movie I mean, what in reality <laughs> obviously but you know when you get to that ending scene this was another movie like I think the ending scene of this movie is perfect uh in encapsulating just... <laughs> Like, how big of a deal, you know, creating the bomb was. But also the fucking guilt and questions that'll come with it for for you. And and something that you originally thought was the right thing to do. Um, and then you have Robert Downey Jr. completely. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is an amazing actor and has been in so many great movies that a lot of people haven't seen. So they just jumped to Tony Stark with him because that's what he's been doing for so long. But... Man, does he fucking nail it in this movie being just a scumbag. Uh, but playing it to a realistic amount and not overdoing it. The makeup in it is a great... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting. I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, you, you uh, spit
1: nothing but facts, so I'm not going to interrupt you.
0: It's it's just really well done. And I am a big Christopher Nolan fan, but I, you know, I went into this movie, though. You know, I'm always open to... You know, I I don't ever want to be a disappointed in a movie, but I wasn't really sure what to expect because I didn't know a shit ton about Robert Oppenheimer. I knew little bits and pieces, and
1: it's also kind of a curveball for uh, Nolan himself, right? I mean, it's not it is. it's not necessarily it is. the type of movie that he's known for. Um, you know, I, I suppose something like The Prestige where that dealt a little bit with sort of like fiction, but also with some uh, nonfiction elements as well. But like uh, hearing that this that Christopher Nolan, who just made a mo- a time travel movie, a few years ago about moving backwards in time and all this shit, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do what is essentially a drama thriller biopic about the father of the atomic bomb." Is like, what? Like that just yeah. seemed like a curveball, and for it to be uh, able to achieve all the things you said, like that kind of just speaks to his uh, prowess as a filmmaker, I guess. Well,
0: well, that and also the fact that he it's funny because it is a biopic, but it does feel like a Nolan movie. And I think it's how he approached it. I mean, I think part of the reason why it caught me so off guard is I was expecting just kind of like a well done, well shot biopic by the numbers type film, which isn't a bad thing. You know, it would have been a fine movie, but the fact that he treated it almost like a thriller and having such forward momentum With something that we all know how it ends in terms of what happened in the, you know, the world. But getting to have that forward momentum still keep you so engrossed. And then on top of that, having this performance by Killian Murphy that adds so many more layers to this man that, you know, there's so many mixed opinions on. And I think that, especially today, I mean, there's even with like Emily uh, Blunt, she really doesn't get her big moments until later in the movie. But man, when she, she earns those moments, uh, and I, yeah, I, I could not recommend this movie more unless you don't like long movies or good movies.
1: <laughs> if you're not into movies that are good, don't watch Oppenheimer.
0: <laughs> Never watch Oppenheimer.
1: No, I'm going to try not to say exactly Dude, what you, can you did.
0: That, because you could copy and paste. It's okay.
1: I'm, I champion <laughs> much of what you said. Um, I guess where I'll start is what I was most impressed with because I, I've never really disliked a Christopher Nolan movie. I suppose Tenant was well below my expectations for him based on his filmography previously, but Mm -hmm. I've never necessarily necessarily been like a diehard Nolan fan. I've enjoyed his early, early works. And then I enjoyed some of his more modern stuff, but you know, tenant was the thing where I was just like, yeah, like, There's some cool moments in this, but I wouldn't necessarily say this is indicative of why I enjoy Christopher Nolan movies. And like we said, for him to do this this as his next project, I was kind of like, huh, I wonder how that's going to play. And, you know, I think that it was the best sort of use of his talents because he's able to take a period in a story, which, you know, personally was not well versed in, didn't know much about Oppenheimer or anything like that. And the fact that he was able to make the horrors and the uncertainty and the anxieties of this period and what Oppenheimer was dealing with and what the world was like then and have those uh, emotions feel very palpable throughout the entirety of three hours. Again, that's no small feat, a three hour movie. And I think I saw this movie, I think I saw it two and a half times. And the other half time was just because I was showing it to somebody and they fell asleep. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to watch 90 minutes of this while they sleep. Uh, so I had mercy on that, but that was a, they problem, not a me problem. But, um, yeah, you know, I think again, what you had said about Killian Murphy, I think he's fantastic in this and I love that it's a very powerful, but understated performance. You know, a lot of his emotions and sort of just trying to convey what Oppenheimer was going through, you know, morally, um, and whatnot really was just, you know, played across on his face. I think. A lot of the time we didn't have to get these grandiose outbursts or sort of just screaming to let, get his point across, even when he's being pressed in all of those uh, you know, the trials and the court hearing and whatnot, like he's just very sort of matter of fact. And it, I suppose it's a testament to Killian Murphy's performance, not to say that uh, I really have done much research into the actual uh, Oppenheimer himself, but like it comes across as very genuine. Somebody that, was trying to do the right thing, got caught up in this fervor, realized the threat that were the Nazis and did whatever possible to defeat them. And then wasn't able to see far ahead enough to the inevitable problems that would come about with, you know, developing that kind of weaponry, weapons of mass destruction. Um, as you said, Emily Blunt, fantastic. Uh, even somebody like Josh Hartnett, I thought was really Dude, great. Like we love us some Josh Hart. Yeah, he's kind of had a resurgence the last five or so years. And it's been great to see Robert Downey Jr. I think is my favorite supporting actor of the year for 2023. Absolutely fantastic. Probably. Um, saying He's able to take like, like you kind of said, people usually think about him as like Tony Stark. And what I was thinking when I saw him is Strauss was like, Oh, okay. So he's Tony Stark, but Tony Stark, that is a complete piece of shit asshole that has no real (laughs) semblance of being a decent person at the bottom of him. Um, but at the same time, it's not just him doing Tony Stark, it's him with some conniving kind of, um, I suppose his quick witted nature of how to fuck over people in the room with him. But at the same time, like a really nasty, sinister performance that, um, I hadn't seen from him in, you know, decades probably. And so that was great to see. And I think, you know, the last thing I'll say is I absolutely love, love the collaboration of Nolan and, um, composer, Ludwig uh, Goranson, who, you know, I if there's one thing I absolutely love about Tenant, it's the soundtrack. And mm-hmm. this soundtrack was my favorite soundtrack from a film this year. Um, Same. Could not get enough of that. My go-to when I'm like sitting down to write something or whatever, um, that just absolutely love that soundtrack. So yeah, Oppenheimer was the only three-hour movie I can say that I watched more than once this year. And there were several which was surprising, but yeah, absolutely loved it.
0: (laughs) I, uh, yeah. I mean, I think the one, one brief comment I'll make, uh, Tom Conti, I want to give a shout out to, I did it on the nuclear fridge too, but I just needed, it would have been so easy to have Albert Einstein be so comical showing up in this movie. (laughs) Uh, especially with the trailers. I know everyone memed it. Um, but no, he, he did a great job. And like I said, I mean, the last scene between him, Oppenheimer and Strauss is, uh, really well done but i always want to give him a shout out because i'm like oh okay we got an albert einstein performance that wasn't over the top and just laughable
1: well i'm so happy Uh, you brought that up because this is we're not doing what the fucks for movies today but i'm going to introduce one the scene when oppenheimer is leaving strauss's house late at night (laughs) (laughs) and his taxi leaves with his wife and lawyer or whatever and then einstein just like steps out of the shadows from this you know massive property and he's just like oh, oh robert it's just like yeah just from the shadows like the dark knight himself that fucking took me I, out I it took me albert. out in the theater it took me out and i rewatched it it was just a perfect moment
0: albert just fucking walking everywhere i mean every time he sees him he's walking somewhere for the most part
1: dog so when you're that big just, brain you got to be left alone with your thoughts
0: it's true it's true you need to breathe you
1: need
0: to, to get away from people <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and also shout out to Universal for letting Christopher Nolan doing whatever the hell he wanted.
1: <laughs>
0: Warner Brothers, I'm sure, are slightly kicking the dirt, even though they have Barbie, so they 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 still are, they're doing okay. I was
1: gonna say I don't think they're kicking the dirt over anything after the uh, the sort of monumental uh, marketing campaign that they had going this year with the uh, Barbenheimer.
0: True. That is very true. Great movie. Everyone check it
1: out. Absolutely. All right, well we're going to get right into my number 3 pick which is Saltburn.
0: All righty. All righty. I that was a shout out for me. But what a
1: movie. <laughs> Dude, what a movie. And from director Emerald Fennell who was behind uh Promising Young Woman. And that was a movie that I did not see, but if anything, you know, I think Saltburn is indicative of this director's ability to blend uh, not only genres and subgenres, but with some commentary as well. Um, and Saltburn is, you know, again, didn't see promising a woman, but Saltburn for me was exactly the blending of like psychosexual thrillers, dark comedies with some commentary in there, and the fact that it was f- bursting at the brim with really, really terrific performances um, throughout the entirety of the cast. You know, obviously Barry Cano. Jacob L. Rody, who I'm not familiar with. I know obviously he was in um fuck, what was that show called with uh Oh the yeah. with
0: with Sydney Sweeney.
1: Uh, uh yeah, whatever that teen show euphoria. euphoria. There you go. Um Enjoy
0: it. Enjoy your teen show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even though I wasn't really familiar with him, I thought he did a good job for his role in that film. Uh Roseman Pike probably gives one of the ah, best supporting performances of twenty twenty three. Absolutely I love loved Rosamund her. Pike yeah she was terrific um as sort of the uh the matriarch of the Saltburn estate um even somebody like Richard Grant who I'm not super familiar with but like leaves a notable mark on the film um but yeah man this film obviously people are gonna talk about like the bathtub scene and whatnot but like there's a <laughs> lot more to this movie, and I'm not gonna say that there aren't almost a handful of scenes that are as wild as that bathtub scene but I think highlighting those moments kind of almost does the movie a disservice because of how genuinely funny this film is. And at the same time, you know, the kind of twists and turns it takes. um, And I think the reason that the twists that the plot takes actually, like, really pay off is the fact that, you know, it's a small detail, but this movie takes place in 2006. And initially, when I watched the movie, I was kind of like the fuck kind of weird time distinction is that to make? But then you realize like <laughs> the lack of social media, cell phones are kind of just becoming a thing that are, everybody has. And that actually does a great deal to sort of sell this premise that is quite outlandish, but it really isn't when you think about the context of 2006. Um, I'm curious for you, what'd you think of Saltburn? Cause this was one we can't get into too much detail about, but at the same time, like yeah, what, the, what uh, a hell of a film.
0: It is. It's extremely well-made movie. I thought the performances were great. Uh, I thought it was funny because I heard nothing about like controversy about it more so than the movie itself. Yeah. I didn't really know what I was getting into other than, oh, apparently it's super fucked up. I had no idea what this movie was
1: about other than somebody Uh, eats cum out of a bathtub.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, essentially I, so I didn't really know what I was going to be getting myself into essentially. Uh, And really I mean, I don't really have to. I think the only thing that kept it from being in my top is just there's a twist in it that I didn't realize was supposed to be a twist because I thought we were just supposed to know that twist. Mm. That's my only real thing, but it doesn't hurt the movie. Uh, it, I, I I was gonna shout it out too anyway. It's I mean it's Barry is it Ke- Keegan Keegan Kog. I don't. I'm sorry. Barry, if I, I think your it's Kano. Cause it's, Cano. I think it's,
1: he's Irish. So can Okay,
0: Barry Cano. That sounds much better than everything I just It's okay. Said. I butchered three uh, or four <laughs> other
1: names tonight. So, uh,
0: he is so good at playing a fucking absolute psychopath. Uh, and this movie, I think the thing, like you said, it's such a disservice just to go like, first off, I thought if anything, the bathtub scene was probably one of the like more tame scenes oh, in this.
1: Oh, it absolutely was.
0: I was like waiting for like almost porno Disgust or something <laughs> and then I watched The movie and I was like this is what everyone's Talking about I mean maybe it's Because you and I have just seen such fucked movies But I was like I mean it's not that big Of a deal and the things that I Was going like oh shit uh, Like no one seems to really be talking about Other than maybe the grave scene <laughs> But uh, Yeah it's definitely one of those movies That you just kind of I mean if you're going to talk about A good movie that's just full of What the fucks uh, This is a perfect movie Dude, it's
1: just a movie about guys being dudes. I don't know what you're getting so weird about, Stuart.
0: (laughs) Just just bros being bros, man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's hysterical too because it's never played, which is something I appreciate about it. It's never played too seriously to a point where you have to really like. I didn't come out of it going against like (laughs) the morals and everything that goes on in it because it's just so absurd at so many different points. Uh, The reveal, one of the reveals though, that did happen into it. I was taken aback just because I thought it was hysterical. Like, Oh, this guy really just like from the beginning. Uh, Okay. Um, And yeah, Jake, Jacob, uh, uh, euphoria guy. He (laughs) was very good. Um, And I, I love Rosamund Pike. I've been a fan of hers for a while and I'm happy, like kind of after gone girl, she's been able to get more of, you know, recognition and, and be in these like kind of bigger movies. Uh, and I'm, so I'm always happy to see her. I was a supporter since doom. Think of the <laughs> movie what you will.
1: <laughs> oh man, you're a true Roseman Pike fan.
0: I'm a Roseman. Yep. Yep. I've been here since Doom. her and Carl Irvin, you know, you know, there's a, the weirdest thing about that movie is it actually kind of has a stat cast, but, uh, yeah, think of the movie, what you will, but good cast. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I love. I go from Saltburn to fucking Doom 2000. Or whatever. <laughs> you might be the uh, first
1: person to ever do that.
0: Probably, probably. I don't think it'll ever happen again on this planet. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I really dug Saltburn. I, I the soundtrack was great. Uh, visually, I love any movie today that does giant real sets. You get points from me because unfortunately that's just where we are with cinema right now. But it's a beautiful looking movie i'm not gonna say it's not gross there were scenes i was like oh jesus christ man i'm not gonna say uh that there's, that's not there but it is not at all the focus uh so i mean you probably are gonna i, I mean you might want to clean your mouth out after a couple of them but other than that i mean i don't know i guess the whole point is the guy's pretty dreamy I mean, maybe you would want to lick the bath water up who knows but uh yeah no great movie and I think uh I saw promising young woman and I, I I liked it I didn't like love it but um I thought it was good and this was I thought a complete step in the right direction just in terms of not giving a fuck and going for it so great shout out.
1: Yeah, this is one of those movies. I don't know if I'm going to be watching it with friends and family anytime soon, but I would definitely <laughs> rewatch it uh, in the future. Or if I was w- hanging out with the sicko like you, that's just as much like I am. Uh, I would definitely check this movie out again. But
0: well, I guess it'd be it would technically be my number two, right? I'm gonna say S- Sanctuary.
1: Oh hell yeah, that's my number two.
0: Oh fuck yeah, dope. Well, <laughs> y- okay, well wait, you well, wait. No, no, so, no
1: wait. you go off, go off on Sanctuary, and then I'll chime in. But...
0: Uh... But, but you're, but
1: you're next with Sanctuary. Okay. I'll take the lead on this one then.
0: I just want to give a quick shout out.
1: <laughs> so Sanctuary from director Zachary Wiggin. Um, he previously signed a movie called The Heart Machine from 2014, I think, which can't even find it online, but what a fantastic film. I mean, this is one of those movies that, you know, I, again, I said it earlier, I'm a sucker for single location, either thrillers or horror films. And this is more of a, I would say psychosexual thriller, Right. It's funny that that and uh, I think I'm telling them myself a little bit that being this close to Saltburn uh, on my list. But, <laughs> you know, very basic premise, two people in a apartment building together stars uh, Christopher Abbott and uh, Margaret Qualley. And, you know, it's about a guy that is a hotel CEO. He meets with this dominatrix because he's into being dominated. And basically he wants to sever ties on the fact that he is going to be this high profile CEO now. Now, turns out, you know, a board of CEO people might uh, not really be into having somebody own a company that uh, is into sexual degradation, which, you know, that's uh, no commentary there, but just, you know, that is the sort of the boot on his neck, right? And so what I think this film does really fantastically, other than being very minimalist, but at the same time having punchy, snappy, sexy dialogue is the fact that we don't know when the fantasy between these two people stops and when reality begins. And, you know, I'll admit both times I watched this movie pretty fucked up on edibles, but it was the perfect (laughs) way to watch this movie. Because if you stop, if you get distracted for a second, you almost forget like, Oh, are they doing a role or a little role play or whatnot? Or is this real? And that was an incredibly apt way to watch this movie. I think, uh, not saying everybody has to watch it that way. And most people won't, but that definitely heightened an element that when I went back and rewatched it the other night, when I was sober, it still played off just as well. The fact that it's like, okay, now he's getting blackmailed. Now this is happening. Is this real? Or is this a continued part of this fantasy that these two people are living out? Um, and you know, that's a testament to the writing. But I think more importantly, it's a testament to both of the actors in this and that they're the only two characters in this movie. And they do such a fantastic job of carrying a film that goes on for 96 minutes, short, sweet, sexy, upsetting at times, very upsetting, also frightening in a way. But at the same time, you know, it does so much with so very little. And I think that Sanctuary really speaks to the importance of having a good script, but more importantly, having two actors that trust their director. And likewise, the director trusts them to get into situations that are at times uncomfortable that are at times, you know, terrifying and at times, you know, pretty hot. Um, so I think that that is really, you know, the Testament to sanctuary Zachary Wigan and of course, Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is the most fucked up beautiful rom-com i've ever seen.
1: Uh
0: <laughs> no, it's uh made me want
1: love in my life. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I was like Margaret Qualley, come and just do whatever you need to. Come and call me um, a nasty name. Sorry. Yes, I'm I'm okay with it. It's all good. You can spank me a little. <laughs> um but yeah, i uh i didn't really know what to go to think about this movie going into it other than i'm a fan of Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley and i looked at the description and it was weird enough that i was like this could be my thing. Um and I'm happy I did. I I think uh, it's very funny movie. While it does have that darkness and messed up nature to it, because like you said, I mean you're kind of you hit a point where things are going so downward that you're like, oh my god, is like, who's playing who? Is anyone even playing each other at this point? Um, but the other thing it did though, when I watched it again, which I really appreciated was setting up breadcrumbs of the real them to the point that once you do get to the end, you're like, that was really well put together. And uh, I, I think it was hysterical because in my head when it, the movie ended the first time, I was like, ah, Which is just hysterical after you just, you know, get through all this shit they put each other through. Uh, but it never feels, it's not not a dull moment goes by in it. Uh, and it's one of the movies this year when I after I watched it, I couldn't stop thinking about it because I was just like, man, I want to be degraded. Now. <laughs> uh, no, uh, specifically. No, really, Margaret it's, <laughs> yeah, Margaret, Kalle, go for it. Uh, no, but it it's just it's really tightly written. Uh, the acting's great. It goes to un, like uncomfortable places and stuff, but it's never gratuitous about it. Uh, and, I, you know, it it's a good example of just a good character piece that goes in places. Maybe some people aren't comfortable with, like if you got like trust issues and you don't like watching it, I probably wouldn't recommend this. Movie.
1: I'm just going to make a, a <laughs> statement now. And Stuart is not going to co-sign this. I'm not going to put him on the spot, but if you're still afraid, it. if people are still afraid in 2024 to watch movies that make them uncomfortable, go fucking do something else with your time. Cause I had the most <laughs> fun crazy. this year with movies that made me uncomfortable at times and I'm better off for it.
0: Oh, one of which we haven't even gotten to yet. This is
1: true. Very yeah, true. Yeah,
0: I, I, you know, I think sometimes the uncomfortable nature of movies can make the movie better. Hell yeah! This is especially in, in this movie. What works with it is, uh, <laughs> the scenes where they do go to the places that are of just really, really uncomfortableness. Uh, they still manage to usually pair it with something. Uh, not in a, in the Marvel way, but they'll usually have a sense of humor that goes with it that feels very real, and like oh okay, like because these are two people that we've they've had a relationship for a bit now, mm-hmm. and we're seeing this supposedly play out as their last, you know, encounter with one another. So you do get that sense of history. Uh, there's a scene where he's talking to someone on the phone, and you're not sure who it is, and when it's revealed, it's hysterical. Yeah. And you're like, oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's just a weird fucking concept. But that's usually the type of movies I get interested in because it's, it's you know, when, this is a perfect example of when people talk about why aren't they making original movies anymore. They totally are. <laughs> you're just not seeing them. Uh, and I, yeah, I hope more people see this over time. I don't know if I could see it becoming a cult classic. It would be awesome if it did. But for anybody that's like maybe been a fan of Christopher Abbott and like have watched some of his movies, or if they're a fan of Margaret Qualley or just wanting to watch something that's quirky and fucked up at the same time, I think it's a hundred percent worth the
1: watch. Hell yeah, I'm glad that we had that. We both had that as our number two because let's go, this movie rocks. But that's going to lead us to your number one,
0: and once again. Numbers don't matter with me. <laughs>
1: but Stuart, last... there is a tribunal that will be held about your list and it's order. I know.
0: I know. And that, no matter so
1: what it is, was. you will be executed by the end of it. So with that I said,
0: I, these are in stone. I can never think differently. <laughs> I am no man. Uh, yeah. So my, so my number one, uh, which I'm actually happy to be talking about first before the, the before your number one, because that one, I have a lot to say, uh, My number one is is the holdovers. Um, I thought this movie was. I like Alexander Payne. I've enjoyed a good chunk of it. Like I like Sideways. I like uh, the Descendants was really good. Uh, But I just I didn't really from the trailers of this movie. I just was kind of like uninterested. Yeah. I I like the talent involved and I like Alexander Payne, but I just kinda was like, eh, I don't know. And then uh I eventually went to see it and uh it's just a great little it was it reminded me how much I love just little character movies that mm. don't necessarily have a lot going on, but the connections made and the banter between the characters is just so genuine to a degree that it just and it's it's also i mean it's a very funny movie on top of it yeah uh the the movies that's that's the thing this year the movies that made me laugh the most were movies i didn't think were gonna be making me laugh that much uh you know uh but with this i mean paul giamatti what an actor uh, I didn't, did you, did you get to see this?
1: I did. Yeah. I was, I was biting my tongue. Cause I wanted you to speak your piece since it was your number oh, one. It was only just oh, my, uh, her. honorable mention for me, but I loved it.
0: Yeah. I mean, Paul Giamatti just has the, like, I mean, well, shout out to the whole cast with Paul Giamatti, uh, divine is Mary Dominic Sessa. Who's apparently, this is his first movie, which is crazy. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. And it's like when you're watching it, it, it it's funny too, because it's so, this plot is made to be a boring movie.
1: Sure. On paper is, on paper it, is, it doesn't paper, sound remarkable at all.
0: On paper you would be like, who the fuck would want to watch
1: this? <laughs> but
0: it's so good. Um, and it's and you know, it's not fully one location at the school, but you're there enough. I mean, it's it's you know, set during Christmas, so you do have some of the Christmas themes in there, but it's definitely more of a movie about finding your own family. And, yeah, it, it made me laugh. It made me a little choked up here and there. It went places I wasn't expecting, not necessarily from a shocking standpoint, but just from a, oh, they, they are going to go, you know, that much deeper than I was expecting. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. Like, when it was done, I was sitting there just kind of taken aback by... Uh, it was a beautiful movie. I... I, I like I said it, it it I one of my my favorite scenes this year is the scene when they're in the liquor store uh and Paul, Giam- Paul Giamatti kind of has like a, a a moment to kind of unleash a bit and it's just funny because he's so composed for most of this movie uh but the other thing which they do especially with Paul with Paul Giamatti's character is it's a difficult balance to be a bit of an over the top asshole and remaining grounded enough to still be a likable human being and he nails that like because i mean it starts off in a way where you can tell already that yes he does put up this asshole persona to students and to kind of be the hard hard case at the school but you can tell when he's especially when he's talking to other members that work there, especially with um, Mary's character, uh, that he genuinely cares and does respect what he's doing and you never question whether that's how he feels. It, it, you know I, it, I I just I don't know it felt like a movie that came out from the fucking like 80s or something.
1: Well, that's a big part of this movie, I think is that they do um, Alexander Payne does such a good job of Establishing the time period, but it doesn't feel like it is, I suppose, you know, as heavy handed as some f- films within the last, I don't know, decade have been in trying to establish a specific time period, right? It's flavor dressing rather than the entirety of why this film is such a standout, I think. Um, You know, personally, I'm a fucking sucker for snowy New England films because, you know, I live in snowy New England, um, but to have something that is able to channel like catcher on the rye. But at the same time, you have these really fantastic performances from people that, um, you know, I would say of the trio, the only person I'm obviously familiar with is Paul Giamatti. So you go into it expecting like, Oh, he's going to carry a lot of this movie. And while he is terrific, you can't say a bad word. I think about the other two, um, actors who are Dominic Sessa. And as you said, divine joy Randolph. I think that they are both two fantastic accompaniments to that trio. And the fact that all three of these characters are basically, it's like a found family film of people that are tethered together by grief and different types of grief, grief. And at the same time, the film is able to have that balance of the somber moments, the moments that get you choked up, but then it's also fucking funny at times and it's fun at times, right? It captures the film knows exactly when you have to have moments of experiencing adolescent humor, adolescent mistakes. um, And it kind of interweaves all of these things into something that at times is upsetting is serious, can make you yourself as the viewer be a little introspective sometimes and look at your own life and see what you should be thankful for more than you actually are and whatnot. Um, so yeah, this is one of those movies that, I don't want to say I begrudgingly threw it on, but I kind of viewed it as like, Oh, well, you know, it's a festive film. It's coming out at the end of the holidays. Oscars are right around the corner. I have a feeling this is going to hit some familiar, uh, you know, let's say Oscar bait sort of plot points. And while, yes, (laughs) it's not a terribly like surprising film in where it goes, it's very genuine and it's very earnest, I think in how it gets there. Um, and those really terrific performances sell it all. Um, and even, you know, some of the other students that we meet, and they're only in about a third of the film, they do a good job of establishing, you know, I think, I suppose, reinforcing the trio of characters and the way that they are and why they are those ways. Um, Because we see, you know, the effects that this variety of the student body at this prep school, how they affect other people and how other people uh, perceive them. Um, And this was my first Alexander Payne movie. I hadn't seen Sideways or any of his other films. And uh, yeah, this was one that has made me want to go back and check out those films because I enjoyed this one so much. Enjoy might be a strange word, but uh, it's a a fantastic (laughs) film. I'll put it that way. And the only reason it's not list of seven is because it was in my honorable mentions and I just saw it the other day and I was like, yeah, I really liked it, but there were a lot of great films this year, I think
0: honestly with us, I could, I could see us. If you went six months in the future, our list could be entirely different.
1: (laughs) Hey man, let's give it six hours. We were texting earlier, dude. We flip flopped on our lists ad nauseum throughout the day.
0: Literally maybe not even like 20 minutes before we were starting. I was like, this is a fucking mess. Uh, But yeah, I, uh, no, I, I, no, I'm happy that you got to see it because uh, I mean, so far, I mean, you and Matt are the only people I've really talked to about it, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's always important, and the reason it kind of keeps it from being one of those Oscar bait movies is the fact that they do treat the three of them all as, like, the main character. Um, So, you know, I'm always down for more movies like this, and I'm also very down for more movies like your number one.
1: <laughs> what a transition, like the man's been podcasting for... A year plus. I love it. Um, Oh, yeah. Best transition we've had all episode. So, thank you. We're arriving at my number one, a film that you also had on your top seven, and that is When Evil Lurks from Demian Rugna, the director from one of my favorite horror films the last five years. uh, His previous film, Terrified, not Terrifier, but Terrified. Um, And that is a film that's on Shudder, I believe, as an exclusive, as is When Evil Lurks. And man, we could do a whole nother 90 minutes on just this movie, but as our listeners, I'm sure have plenty of other things to do. I'll try to keep it short and sweet.
0: We need to keep it. We need to have this as an episode.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's one that I think we're going to have to bring in a guest for because it's that, it's that much of a special film and just how truly depraved and fucked up it is. And there's, we're going to have to get into the nitty gritty of the spoilers, which we're not going to do today, but uh, we, we will definitely be revisiting this film along with probably several others on our list at a later date. But you know, For me personally, after rewatching this film, after rewatching The Exorcist recently, because I was on my buddy Devon Taylor and uh, Garrett McDowell's podcast Spectre Cinema, which is a really terrific podcast that anybody that has stuck with us this long and has enjoyed this, uh, you should absolutely go check them out because they're two of uh, my favorite podcasters that are out there. And, you know, I think watching The Exorcist before When Evil Lurks really reiterated to me just how strong of a possession film when evil lurks is. And it does so by sidestepping a lot of my pitfalls of most possession films. And you know, most possession films are going to end up dealing with religion and whatnot. It's inevitable. And with this film, I love how everyone is so matter of fact about this fucked up shit that is happening. The, the process of being possessed, they've got all this terminology, rotten ones, marked ones, you've got the possessed ones and all these things and all of the characters are aware of it and you don't have to dedicate 90 minutes or, you know, 45 minutes, if you will, to, Hey, do we think this is really happening? Why is this happening? Like this film skirts past all of that as a matter of fact. And that really does allow this film to go to some truly depraved places that it does, because if you're not going to spend time getting in the weeds of religion and proselytizing and all these things, you got to get to the fucked up demon shit. And this movie has that in spades. Um, you know, it is a film that revels in brutality and sorrow and continually makes people think, oh, he can't possibly do that. There's no way. This is a horror movie. You know, there's a protected category in horror movies and it's kids and animals. And Demain Rugna says, you know what? Fuck them, kids. Fuck them, the animals. Don't <laughs> give a shit because I'm going to torment them just as, if not more so, than the adults in this movie. Um, and
0: Oh, the adults had it easy. Yeah,
1: for real. (laughs) I'd rather get hit by a car than some of the shit that happens to some of these people, or kids and uh, animals. But, you know, shock value is one thing, but I really do think that this movie doesn't do it just for shock value because of how it sells its world building, it sells its practical effects, and it sells, I suppose you know, there's shock value. And then there is selling a layer of, and level of brutality that the audience does not check out on. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can oversell your big moments and it ends up feeling kind of deflated at the end of it because of the fact that you're like, Oh, well that was the, the mountaintop, if you will, of depravity. And this film somehow just continues and continues to one up itself in a way that I find really, really remarkable. You know, I'm not going to say that it had my favorite performances of the year, but it certainly had my favorite ensemble of grief and the fact that you could take this world that is also connected to his previous film, which was something that I thought was really interesting, but it doesn't feel overbearing, if you will. You know, there's the Rugna cinematic universe now, if you will, with Terrified (laughs) and with When Evil Lurks. But if you hadn't seen Terrified, you wouldn't even know it. And if you're a fan of Terrified you're like, "Oh, hey, that's a cool addition, but it doesn't sort of retread on things that made terrified such a standout." If anything, it shows you that terrified as terrifying as it was was sort of the tip of the iceberg.
0: I I still need to watch Terrified. I, I you've told me to watch it multiple times and I, I have it on my watch list on Shutter, but it's another one I just keep forgetting I need to watch. Uh yeah, this movie. Uh man, I <laughs> I, re- when I finished watching it, I sent Jay, the Michael Jordan, <laughs> <laughs> this is what Ragnar was thinking this whole movie of the, just, it was just his face in black and white saying, fuck them. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> because
1: I was at work, dude, in a meeting and I saw that and I started dying <laughs> in my meetings. It was like, what's so funny. I was like, fucking nothing. Uh, worry nothing, about yourself.
0: <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's, uh, this movie You know, the thing with this movie, which is something I which is why I hold it so highly and put it in my top seven is there's a lot of movies out there that try to shock and be grotesque and gross and go places. And, you know, they they tend to try to get they want that notoriety of being the next whatever, you know, extremist film and get on that list. Uh, And I'm one of those people. I don't care for gratuitous, nasty movies when there's just zero point to it. Yeah. And, you know, like for those like Serbian films and stuff in the world. And, you know, that's why I think movies like this or something like Martyrs are significantly more disturbing because mm. they place themselves in an area where while there is some really depraved and horrible shit going, they ground it enough with whether it be through effects or situations that you're just like, fuck. <laughs> it's, and you. You know, I'm not going to say there are a couple of deaths in this movie where you might chuckle a bit just because you are not expecting some of the kills in this movie. Yeah. There is a something involving a dog that I, like, started laughing out of just shock. Yeah. Because I was like, holy shit.
1: That's a trauma response. I've ever heard of one because I did the same shit.
0: I, I was just... I Like, if someone watched this movie, they'd just think I'm a psychopath because I was just like, holy <laughs> shit. And, and this movie... The other thing, too it did so many things that I had not seen before where, or at least not to this level. Um, because I, I mean like really, I mean, I, I think I saw the cover and I knew it had something to do with possession and that was all I really knew going into it. And at the beginning when it's addressing the possession and you get this really good prosthetic work with a character that's been rotten, uh, in the, and he's like, a, you know, you know who I'm talking about, yep. in the Bed, and you're just like, Jesus, I like, So, is this gonna be just like a like Texas Chainsaw meets Exorcist movie in this fucked up farmhouse? <laughs> and uh, it is not. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to go too much into ex- like big details, but uh, I know there was some CG because I don't, because I mean, you know, there'd be so many dead people. Uh, there are shots in this. I mean, it kind of almost had the same effect I had with John wick where there were a couple times I was like, how did someone survive filming that? Uh, I I really was just like, like, holy shit. Uh, In the level of practical effects and how good they looked for a movie that I don't, did you, do you know the budget of this movie?
1: Um, let's see. Because
0: it, it, for the most part, I, there was not much of me going, Oh, that looks
1: bad. No, there's no budget Uh, for it. It only grossed about 500 grand, but that's because it was limited release.
0: Right. Well, whatever their budget was, they utilized it beautifully.
1: Yeah. It is. There's there's not a cheap looking kill in this movie.
0: No. And the other thing too, though, which I, I think, which you pointed out, which is the main thing to draw, despite the fact that we are commending the violence and how they portray it. Uh, I think it's important when you have a movie like this for the violence to be ugly. Otherwise, you kind of lose the whole point, which is that these people are going through this horrendous ordeal. I mean, I think in Hollywood, especially now, people say like they get so desensitized to violence and stuff in movies. When in reality, I think the ones where, you know, people are just getting shot and falling down real quick like a Bourne type movie or something are far more desensitizing because you're not thinking about the fact, "Oh, I just watched 20 people get murdered." Yeah. Where in this There is not a single death where you're thinking like, oh, okay. Like every single one, you're like, Jesus, like someone just died. And, uh, the characters, you don't get a ton of insight into them. You get enough. And it's like just enough that where you're, you know, you're feeling bad for them in this situation. They have a couple characters that you're, you know, are usually those off limits characters. Um, you know, it's, if you got like that sweet old lady in an electric scooter, usually in a movie, they're okay. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> this is not that type of movie. Uh, but you know, you're definitely rooting for them, and it ends on a note that I wasn't. I. It's funny because it ends up being almost as. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's spoilerish to say. I. So maybe I won't say that. But it just ended in a way that surprised me. Still just because of the type of movie it was, I was expecting it to go one way. And when it ended, I was like, huh, that's an interesting place to like, kind of put a, you know, a pin on it for now. I was like, all right.
1: Well, I have to say like with that ending, I have to applaud. I could not applaud harder for the fact that like Demian's dedication, just keeping the boot on the neck of the audience. And if anything, by the finale, You think he's going to let up and then he just completely collapses your windpipe because it's the type of ending that, you know, most directors, I'll come out and say it, are fucking cowards to attack uh, (laughs) the audience to that degree and to degrade the audience to that degree. But I think that films such as this are important because they remind people that violence, especially in horror films, obviously, right, Um, can be as impactful as it's meant to be, even for sickos like us that are generally pretty desensitized, I think, to violence in film at this point. Like we've been watching movies long enough, you know, Oh, I've seen everything I've seen this. And for a film to come along that continually reminds us that like our understanding of the ceiling for horror and violence in film, we don't know shit. We're just, you know, it's as much fuck this audience as it is. Fuck them kids. um, Because this film continually challenges our understanding of the limit. Um, And every once in a while, I think that a film like this, you know, you mentioned earlier Frontiers, Martyrs, those are films that really do remind people, like, it's not as constructive as a way as I probably could say it, but, like, I like that film, surprising is not the right way to put it, but, like, I feel like I appreciate sometimes when films can be almost unsafe to the degree of the sort of, like, my understanding of the limit of what can happen on film. now you and I have talked about it at length and we don't have to go into it right now, but like stuff like a Serbian film is very much not for me because of troll violence. Right. Um, so yep. that's not what I'm talking about, but I mean, in the terms of a film that has established characters, you understand their plight, you feel for their plight. And yet the director continually just sort of outdoes themselves in this level of torment that is matched by a production value that sells it the way that those things should be sold. Because if you're not going to sell them in the proper manner with the proper sort of attention to detail, you shouldn't be fucking doing it because you just want to get a reaction. And it's so much more in this film because of the fact they really sell it and they go for it in a way that so few are willing to do. And that's why it's my favorite movie of 2023 and my favorite horror movie of 2023 as well.
0: It's an excellent pick. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's up there as one of my favorites. I, I struggled very hard with this list, as you all heard throughout this entire thing. It's just, uh, yeah, no, it's it's refreshing when you see a movie like that, especially even like, you know, you bring up a movie like Martyrs, which Martyrs isn't even a particularly graphic movie. It's just its brutality yeah. is so in your face to a point where you're, and unrelenting. you're feeling for these characters. Yeah. And this movie is definitely on the other end of it, it is very graphic, but it's not what the movie's about, which maybe for some like I don't think mainstream audiences would look for that. I think most people would start this I mean the first and it's funny too because one of the more effective scenes of violence in this movie is the very first one for me oh yeah uh because you know it's funny when you have the scene that like maybe there was alluded to in marketing or something and you're just like, oh okay this is that um rarely is it that you're like oh God like what what are you oh nope nope we're still going uh oh god it's this is happening <laughs> and it sets the tone for what you're about to like kind of experience but it doesn't ever take away though from the humanity of the experience which is where i always draw lines with some movies where i will either quit them or just not even bother because you you need there needs to be a, some sort of unless you're going for just you know schlocky you know over the top evil dead type shit you know, obviously that stuff can be fun. I'm not saying it can't be. But when you start going into those depraved areas of humanity, you really better have a good reason for showing
1: it. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you. But as we have concluded our lists and as people have probably been annoyed for the last, I don't know, 45 minutes, my voice is starting to go. Um, that's going to do it for episode zero of Genre His Stewart. I appreciate you allowing me to put you on the spot and putting your picks in order. Uh, But I have enjoyed it as I always do in chatting about genre films with you and whatnot.
0: Always a pleasure.
1: Cannot look forward more to next week when we kick things off officially, that will follow the, what will be the traditional format of genre haze and going through the good, the bad and the what the fuck with a personal favorite film of not only Stewart's, but also myself. Uh, So we will look forward to discussing that next week. And we hope you guys uh, enjoy our chat on a beloved film and you've enjoyed this chat. I hope this was uh, somewhat of a taste of not only Stuart and I's sort of uh, relationship with film and whatnot, but at the same time, hopefully it was uh, somewhat enjoyable for films that I suppose plenty of people have talked about over the course of the year and whatnot. But uh, hopefully we were able to bring a bit of humor and charm to that discourse. Damn straight. Can't wait to go on this journey with you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Genre Haze. If you enjoyed our back-and-forth bullshitting, please head over to your preferred podcast platform to rate and review the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at Genre Hayes Pod, for updates about which films we'll be covering in the future. And as always, don't fear the depths of genre filmmaking.